There is a slight error in your bulletin in terms of the particular scripture. It is from 1 Peter chapter 2, but verses 4 through 5 and verse 9. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. We are invited. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the word of the Lord. So what's all this talk about a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood? Here we have gathered on the commemorative date of the Reformation, and I use the word commemorative because I think it's too much to say celebration, for there was as much downside to the Reformation as there was upside, and I will get to that in a minute. As I will get to the understanding of this royal priesthood, because one of Martin Luther's main premises upon which he understood the role of the church is that we, as members of the church, and you as members of the church, are called to be a priesthood of believers, a priest to each other. When he distributed his 95 theses, or protests, on the tradition says, door of Wittenberg Church, he changed the world and especially began the real division between the Catholic Church and what we call now the Protestant Church. And he did so over several things, but primarily the sovereignty of God and not the sovereignty of the leadership in the church and the empowerment of the people as priests to each other. 500 years ago, they thought that if you bled someone, you would heal them. Women were taught that, excuse the language, spreading dog urine on their face, that they would alter the effects of aging. Most people believe that the world was spherical by that point. It was after Columbus but they still thought that the earth was the center around which the sun and planets revolved. 500 years ago, there were basically two churches, the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Western Roman Catholic Church. Both of those churches were managed, governed, and even controlled by a hierarchy of leaders, starting with the priest, bishop, the Catholic Church, Cardinal, and ultimately with the Pope. Both of those churches gave most of the power to the hierarchy and ultimate power in the Catholic Church sense to the Pope and the Church. On the local level, priests had plenty of power and they could determine who would gain access to God through whether or not they would be baptized or whether they would receive communion 
or whether they would find themselves blessed at their death. It was clear from the hierarchy that the more that you gave, the closer to God you would get. Ultimately, coming to its focus in this thing called an indulgence, which meant if you gave enough to the building campaign or to the church, then you would receive an indulgence from the cardinal or the pope or the bishop that said you would be saved for all time. You did not have to worry about your eternal salvation. So 500 years ago, on October the 31st, All Saints Day, or Halloween for us, a young German priest named Martin Luther turned the whole institutional foundation of priestly power on its ecclesiastical head. We call it the Reformation. Tradition holds that he nailed them to the door, as I said, however it is, that's certainly dramatic enough. But as a result of that, where there were two churches, now there are over 20,000 different denominations as best we can count in the world. This is both a good thing and a not so good thing. He did not start out to be the father of a reformation. He only wanted to be a priest against his father's wishes who wanted him to be a lawyer. But he joined the Augustinian order, celebrated his first mass, and was so awed by the mystery of it all that along with the weight of his own guilt and crisis, he came to some kind of a fit in the choir in the balcony and fell over crying, it's not me, it's not me, to his deep embarrassment and his father's. He didn't want to start a revolution. He never wanted to leave the Catholic Church, just reform it, but he was excommunicated, so there you are. Why? Luther had come to see through the institutional dysfunction and corruption of the professional clergy and through careful reading of the New Testament that there was no warrant for the external anointing of priests, not a single word to support this practice. A priest was made, not, excuse me, not made, but born, was baptized, was called by God, was not ordained by the church, but by God alone. It was completely revolutionary, and you can see how it spread like wildfire. And because of the invention of the printing press, even more so, and the ability to read the Bible for themselves with new translations written in their own language was an affront to the hierarchy and leadership of the church. It's why literacy and education is so important in the Protestant realm of churches, that it gives the common folk power and accessibility. So at its start, the Reformation was the first major bottom-up populist movement of any scale since Jesus Christ and the early church. You can see how the case can be made that this movement, which had already been moving for a couple of years, Wycliffe and John Huss, for instance, opened the door to the Enlightenment. It's all there. 
and even the democratic republic form of government that we practice in the United States. But it did not come without bloodshed. This was a deeply political issue, as you would guess, called into question by the whole system of how things worked, the government and the church and society and culture. It threatened everything, and there was great violence and suffering because of it. It is said that in the 30 years war, three, two out of every three young German men lost their life defending their faith. So what does it mean to us 500 years later? First, it means that not every populist movement is of God. Without a vision of common virtue, a deeper sense of civic-mindedness and allegiance to a higher power in our life together than just my own particular individual ideology and my own particular individual right, without that populism degrades into what we are now seeing in our country and world today. It looks like the French Revolution run amok. What does it mean? At its heart, it means that all Christians and cobblers and farmers and business people and teachers and government officials and soldiers and nurses and babysitters work as priests to each other, equal in office, if not in gifts. At its heart, it means that whoever has been baptized has been ordained to the holy priesthood, not just those in the professional guild. At its heart, it means that no power of church or government can stand between our relationship with God and Jesus Christ because only God is sovereign, not the pope, not the priest, not the president. At its heart, it means that every member needs to be educated theologically and practically so that every member can have access to the Bible and understand it better. At its heart, it means that we have been given the responsibility to be the presence of the body of Christ in the world, a movement for reconciliation, that every member, wherever you are, is ordained to live and act like a priest to each other. A living example of the reconciling love of God in Jesus Christ, wherever you are. This is hard. Of course it's hard. It is a high and holy calling. And why really most lay people like for their professional clergy to be the hired guns so that they don't have to go do church all over the place. They can just come to church on Sunday and let the priesthood do it. You know, this is true when you hear people say in the presence of a preacher, well, I guess I better watch my language. You know, this is true when you hear people say that the church needs to stay out of politics. As if you, the members professing the lordship of Jesus Christ, are not involved in politics. You know this is true when people separate their work from their faith as if what happens in worship has no effect on what happens on Monday in work. Today, we need a new reformation. Once reformed, always reforming. 
We, you, have gotten dependent on us professional, institutional clergy to do your priesting, and it is no longer working. Church as we know it is losing ground demographically and spiritually, and we sense a sea change underway like the First Reformation, whether it goes good or ill has yet to be determined. Why? Because we have become irrelevant. I asked my 33-year-old daughter, Megan, why growing up in the church, being an ordained elder, youth elder in the church, why she, when she loves traditional music, liturgy, worship, why she's not a member of a church, why she no longer connects to a church all the time. And she said, Dad, it's irrelevant. Irrelevant? What do you mean it's irrelevant? It's irrelevant, Dad. It just really doesn't have anything to say or do about what's happening in our time these days. What she meant, I think, is that we become too institutionalized, too professional, and too hypocritical. Under the Urban Dictionary for Protestant, one definition says, member of the religion that broke off from the Catholic Church many years ago basically vandalized the Bible, adding and deleting writings as they please, despised the Catholic Church and its teachings of saints, have been known to think they are better than anybody who isn't like them or a member of their church, believe the Catholics are going to hell along with the Jews, Orthodox, African-Americans, and homosexuals. They have criticized the Virgin Mary. They try to humiliate Catholics as much as possible and usually end up getting hated by everyone even more. Ouch! Really? Now, I have to say, that's not this church as I know it. But apparently it's the church that is being revealed to the people out in the world as they see it. What happened? What happened? We gave up our Protestantism. We are no longer empowering from the bottom up. The young people today see it. They have no faith in institutional religion or any institutions for that matter. Instead, they claim they are spiritual but not religious. That is populism. If I had my way, I would preach every sermon from the floor. Now that we have microphones, there's really no point in the preacher preaching from the high, lifted-up place called the pulpit. If I had my way, I would insist that the amount of outreach in time and treasure that we count at Riverside is not the amount that you see on our budget sheet, but the collective outreach of each and every single member in this church of how you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure. So if you send $10 to desk, not through the church, that's outreach from Riverside Presbyterian Church. You add that all up, my gosh, it's overwhelming. This is why we call it outreach. And when we think the institution should carry this, it is simply a way to abdicate our own responsibility. If I had my way, every baptized member would be ordained to baptize others and to celebrate and serve the Lord's Supper just as the professional clergy are expected to do now. If I had my way, there would be no more denominations 
No more split between Catholic and Protestant and Orthodox. No longer a restriction about who can come to the table and who cannot. Instead, we would all be members together like we confess in the creed, one holy, apostolic, Catholic, one church. If I had my way, the whole world would run better. Ha, ha, ha. If I had my way, the institutional and program demands of the church would be reduced tenfold because we would no longer think in terms of what we need to do here to attract people into the church. The only question that matters is what do we need to do here to equip our members to go out of this church into the world and be priests to each other. We do that through equipping them in worship and education and fellowship and pastoral care. That's the only reason for our budget demands. Every dollar we spend, every minute we meet would be in order to answer this question. What does the institution of Riverside Presbyterian Church need in order to equip you, the members, to be priests of reconciliation in this world? then there would be no question of whether we are relevant or not. For the reconciling power and love of Jesus Christ would ever be present and meaningful and relevant wherever you are, through each of you. But of course, it's not my way, for if it were, I would be claiming too much of the priesthood It's our way. No, in fact, it's your way. I cannot give it to you. I cannot coerce you. You have to claim it. You have to take it. 500 years is a long time. Don't you think it's time for another reformation? A reformation of reconciliation? The world is waiting desperately.